Well, the purposes of the dress-ups are to stretch the repertoire of things that students can do with words. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, you have been about this business of teaching, writing, structure, and style for a few years. A few. <laughs> we, we could almost translate that to a few decades. That's but right. <laughs> according to your definition of a few, it would have to be three. Right. So, got a little more time to go, but then we can say a few decades. That's right. That's right. And makes me feel really young. <laughs> well, and of course, I'm a, probably about a decade behind you in learning this methodology, but... I have certainly been in the trenches, partly with our customer service team, partly with our marketing messages, about what is this teaching, writing, structure, and style. And I think a lot of people, when they are first introduced to it, are enamored by the stylistic techniques, because that's really easy. Oh, this is really cool. This is instantly improving writing, which is actually a conference talk that you used to do, but you no longer do because it was perpetuating a myth of what structure and style is all about. And that's kind of what we want to address today in this podcast of some of the myths of the stylistic techniques. That's good because if if I ever do get people who are critical of our approach, mm-hmm. it's usually something to do with that. So, yeah. So what kind of myths do we suffer? Well, before we dive into that, for some of our listeners that may be brand new to structure and style, can you first define structure and style? They're two different things. We're that's our flagship product is a teacher training course, teaching writing, structure and style. Yes, and I, I would like to question the use of the word myth mm-hmm. or maybe redesign it. Mm-hmm. Because a myth does not mean something that is categorically untrue. Right. It means, in one definition, a larger-than-life story. Oh, okay. However, what we're talking about could be more accurately termed misunderstandings. Yep, that's true. Or misbeliefs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But structure, of course, uh, is corresponds with the in the in the rhetoric world with arrangement. Mm -hmm. So, how do you sequence the presentation of ideas? Whereas style corresponds with the elocution. How do you express those ideas? And then embedded in our nine units, as we explore the structural models, uh, we move through a process of developing the skills of invention or what to say. So, you know, people who are familiar with the classical rhetoric terminology would probably immediately say, oh, structure and style, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for you know people new to it, yeah, 
the structures are the ways to organize ideas in different compositions. And of course, uh, one of the things that makes our syllabus effective, engaging, lasting, mm-hmm. is the variety of structural models, mm-hmm. both you know past the basic keyword outlines from keywords from every sentence idea into the story sequence chart and mm-hmm. then the topic clincher, topic-based paragraph papers and then mm-hmm. the writing from pictures and research and then the inventive writing and then the essays, critiques and response to literature and beyond. So rather than just teaching one thing like how to write stories or how to write essays, you know, we're constantly moving and giving kids a variety right. throughout the school year and then repeating that sequence yep. for several years in a row so that those tools become more and more familiar, almost second nature. Right. And and the structural models are the nine units. And as you say, we encourage teachers and teaching parents to have their students repeat them year after year. So it will be there's unit one again with the keyword outline. There's unit three again, the story sequence chart, but it's different content. And then they're really mastering the structural model. Well, and and I like the idea of using a tool, mm-hmm. you know, because let's say you become a carpenter. Okay, so you start learning and you use certain tools. And then as you get into more complex things you would have more specific or complex tools. But you pretty much never stop using Mm. the basic tools, right? I mean, no matter how advanced of a carpenter you are, you're still going to want a hammer and a drill. And so I like that because when people say, oh, so these are tools, you don't like learn them and then stop using them you move past it, they're not useful. No, they're always useful. And it's always good to improve the way in which you can use those tools. Mm -hmm. So now the stylistic techniques that you like to say we drip in throughout the syllabus of the structural model. So as you're teaching unit two, you don't have to teach a certain stylistic technique. You just see where the kids are at and you add in a stylistic technique as it becomes easy, the whole easy plus one. So we have different uh, categories of stylistic techniques. So let's... Well, there's the basic dress-ups. Mm-hmm. And you know, according to Webster's original layout, there were six mm-hmm. of them. And then the basic sentence openers, six of them. The basic decorations, six of them. Mm-hmm. And then the triple extensions mm-hmm. or triples, six of them. So he laid it out with these four groups of six stylistic techniques. Mm-hmm. We have discovered and organized some additional stylistic techniques over the years. Uh, so those would be included now in the advanced dress-ups, the advanced sentence openers, advanced decorations. And there's really no need for advanced triples because once you get the hang of triples, you can do them any way you want, whenever you want. But uh, I think most people, when they first watch the TWSS with maybe little or zero previous knowledge, Mm -hmm. they immediately think, oh, 
this is going to help improve this person's writing mm-hmm. because it's improving the vocabulary right. and it's creating a variety of sentence structures. Mm-hmm. And when you get into the sentence openers, it expands that mm-hmm. idea of the variety of sentence structures. So you really are acquiring you know, this repertoire of things you can do. And one of my biggest problems in the beginning was, you know how you always say, do what I say, but don't do what I do. And nobody can do that because we learn by example far more instantly and powerfully than we learn by principles. Mm -hmm. So the problem with the TWSS is trying to do the whole thing, well, originally, you remember, one day. Yep. And then it became two days, and then we recorded it, and it became about 15 hours. I'm I'm forced by that dynamic to say, okay, you've learned unit one and two. Now let's learn all the dress-ups in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's write a paragraph with all the dress-ups. Now you go write a paragraph with all the dress-ups. Well, okay, adults for the most part can handle this. And you tell the teachers in that seminar. Don't do this to your kids. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like I said, it's one thing to to hear a principle. It's another thing to have done it in a particular way. So that's one of the battles I think, you know, we still fight, although with the theme-based writing lesson books and the SSS series, we've tried to pace that Mm -hmm. so that, you know, we don't dump all the dress-ups on too quickly. Right. And, of course, the pacing can vary according to the level of the students. So we kind of have to guess, you know, what's a typical grade three to five reading level student you know, how quickly are these dress-ups going to become easy enough to add in another one? And sometimes it works. Sometimes it's on the slow side. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, what's the next thing? I can mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's on the little fast side. And you always know that you've introduced them too quickly if the student says, do I have to do all these things mm-hmm. on this checklist? Mm-hmm. They're basically just saying, hey, you taught me too much too fast. Right, right. And it's always okay to back up and say, okay, let's rethink this. Um, if if doing all six of these dress-ups is a burden to you, let's back up and just do four. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. tell me. Well, just do these four and you tell me. But one mistake, I think it's a mistake, is when teachers say, okay, well, you know six dress-ups – you only have to do four in each paragraph, whichever you want. That that doesn't create the mastery that we're looking for. It's better to get rid of two and say, here's the four you have to do in every paragraph. When it's easy, we'll add in the fifth. Right, right. Rather than, okay, well, you learned all this stuff, pick and choose. It's, it's not a – it doesn't work well as a smorgasbord idea. No, right. And actually, as we're having this conversation, and I'm not sure it's going to be possible to actually enumerate all of the myths or misunderstandings, but I've heard three already so far. And the first one is when you teach Unit 2, you should teach all the dress-ups to your students that – is, of course, a misunderstanding. That is what you do to the teachers right. because you believe they can handle it. And, and you know, we've been fighting that for right. two decades. Exactly. Or more. Right, right. Yeah. exactly. 
The second one is, yes, we have put in the Structure and Style for Students, the SSS, and the theme-based books, a pacing. And we believe that all children should follow that particular pacing. And that, that is also a misunderstanding. Yeah, not true. You have to be able to customize it, whether make it easier. Maybe if they've done structure and style for a couple of years, you might want to add in. And that's why we've created the checklist generator for our premium members. And we have actually included in the checklist generator the current templates for those theme-based and structure and style for students' materials and so that it's very easy to customize that. Exactly. Well, you've watched me I have. plan to introduce a new style technique mm-hmm. and abort during the class mm-hmm. that I had planned mm-hmm. to teach it because my senses, they're not ready for a new thing. That's Let's right. just camp out where we are right. one more assignment right. or more. Right. So there is, I think, an ideal of flexibility mm-hmm. that sometimes teachers are a little less comfortable with just right. because they want to know, you right. know, how's it all going to go? What's my lesson plan? What are my, you know, objectives? What What's the outcome-based mm-hmm. measurement here? But, you know, we go back to Mrs. Ingham, always teach at the point of need, right. teach at the point of appropriate readiness, which would be another way of saying that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't need to to, to hit this too hard, right. but it's always good to remind people, you do not have to be, obey the schedule of the checklists in the things we provide you. Right. You are in charge of it. Right. It is not in charge of you. Right. And one thing that I have seen over and over again is that idea of trusting the system. And the system isn't the student materials. The system is the teacher training materials. And if you know the teacher training materials well enough to be able to make those adaptations, even if you're making things easier for your students, your students will do much better than they would had they not had these tools. So I absolutely know that that's true. I've seen it firsthand. I am in awe to watch little Josh at the beginning of the year, little (laughs) Zeke at the beginning of the year, barely able to read the source text by the end of the year, just be able to write so well and so stylishly and yet using the structural models. The the other thing that you brought up, and I'm identifying the third perhaps misunderstanding, and that is... This idea that, well, maybe it's a misunderstanding of what these stylistic techniques are actually attempting to do. And that is, you've taught all six, so leave off a couple and let the kids pick and choose. And that's okay. That is a myth. There is a purpose behind these stylistic techniques that that we're teaching. And I think that's probably where we want to spend maybe the bulk of our time today. And if we need to go into part two of some other myths, I think that would be time well worth spent. Sure, sure. Well, you know, people kind of get going with those dress-up techniques. They first see it in the book lice, and they may cringe at some sentence that someone says, you know, in the class or on the video, like, that's just not the way I would say it. Mm -hmm. So group writing is kind of painful, (laughs) I I will confess. (laughs) But it's the best way to demonstrate. And if I treat the 
you know, the teachers and parents who are in the seminar the same way I would kind of treat the kids, which is, okay, that was your best idea. Let's run with it. I'm not going to stop and pick it apart and Mm -hmm. say why I don't like it or something. So sometimes, you know, that happens. But then everybody gets a chance to try it on their own with the infrasound and elephants assignment. And then they really kind of do have to wrestle Mm -hmm. with that. One thing that I think a lot of folks notice is that it's actually a little easier to do stylistic techniques when you are working, at least initially, with some fiction thing like an Aesop fable Mm -hmm. because you don't have to be completely obedient to the facts. Mm -hmm. And if you need to use some added thought to make your who which clause work, no problem in an Aesop fable. You can play with it, you know, however you want. But if you add in information about infrasound and elephants, well, you know, is that verified? Is it true? Did it come from a reliable source? Do you happen to know something? Are you making it? So there's that area where it's harder with the nonfiction. Which is why, you know, I like to encourage people in almost all the SSS courses. Mm-hmm. I start, you know, either the first, second, or at least the third assignment doing an Aesop fable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even as you're explaining that, it, it occurs to me, you know, the fox who was a crafty animal, we don't know that for certain, but it doesn't matter because it's we do. The fox Foxes the- are <laughs> awful creatures. And anybody who thinks they're cute and should be saved has never had chickens. <laughs> But okay. a fox who okay. comes right into the yard in broad daylight and just murders chickens. Every bad rep for a fox that is out there because of Aesop fables is deserved, in my opinion. But nevertheless. Okay, I have to interrupt and just explain to our listeners. Yes, Andrew has had firsthand experience with a fox, and he even wrote a poem about this, and we'll put a link in the show notes of the poem that you wrote about, about the, the murderous fox. fox the again. murderous fox. But if I were to apply that same, you know, witch clause, the or the fox who was, right. and I now say the book lice, which are, you know, carnivorous. Well, I don't even know that. Yeah. Is that true? I can't make up stuff. No. And so factual so, things. So yeah. when you teach the witch clause in particular— it's very helpful as a teacher to say, okay, we've got this keyword outline here. Are there any of these ideas that could be connected mm-hmm. up? So you end with, you know, you start with two sentences, but you end with one sentence that contains those two ideas. Perfect. And that's going to be better writing, mm-hmm. usually, mm-hmm. and it makes a smoother which clause, and so you don't have that awkwardness of the added in marginally appropriate idea. <laughs> right, right. You know, and and I would say in fact just yesterday that was one of the questions is, you know, if the dress ups the who which is hardest to teach. Mm-hmm. And you know, there are reasons for that. One is it's less and less colloquial. Mm-hmm. You're less and less likely to hear people saying who or which in a conversation. Kids read less, so they're less likely to read it in something where it's used appropriately. So that falls on the teacher to come up with a a larger number of examples of how it's used appropriately. Right. So we start, almost always, we start with the LY adverb, and that is the easiest one. Um, Everybody uses them when they speak. 
They make sense. They're very flexible grammatically. They can go almost anywhere in a sentence, and still, it's you know correct. sounds Sounds good. And you can just give them a nice long list of ly adverbs that are very likely to work in the source text that you are using.、Mm-hmm. So you know that's an easy one. The who, which, which is the second one we usually introduce, a little bit harder. So it may take some time until doing that is less awkward and easy. And of course,、mm-hmm. our definition of easy is student can do it without much help. And it doesn't sound too goofy most of the time. Right. Yep. So you mentioned the ly, which is almost like the vocabulary building dress up, and then the who, which, which is more of a, which is more of a sentence combining dress up. What are the purposes of the dress ups? Well, the purposes of the dress ups are to stretch the repertoire of things that students can do with words. You know, I make the comparison if. Most of us talk in fairly simple structures,、mm-hmm. daily conversation. We tend to have habits that then come out in writing, and so very often writing will sound like talking. In fact, there's a book called "If You Can Talk, You Can Write,"、uh, which I do not like.、Mm-hmm. That book,、mm-hmm. and I would write an opposing book called "Don't Write Like You Talk." Right.、Mm-hmm. There's something that is delightful about well-written prose、mm-hmm. that it, that is more delightful than just listening to someone talk,、mm-hmm. because there's thought that goes into it, and then there's that variety and depth, and that's what we're trying to sensitize the kids to: is hey, there's many ways to say this one idea. You don't have to just say it the way you thought it and said it the first time, and And move on, and just leave it there. And so, what you do find is that the the stylistic checklist forces the kids into looking at options. Oh, nice! And that's really what we're trying to do. But you can't say to a kid now, think of all the different ways you could say this. I mean, that's stupid. That would never work. <laughs> Instead, you have to have a system that kind of requires that activity. So. The who, which clause is an example. Then we move to strong verb,、uh, which gets us into now another vocabulary element.、Mm-hmm. But you know what's a strong verb, and why is it good?、Mm-hmm. So you know, how do you communicate that to children? Well, a strong verb is a a good verb. Well, what does that even mean?、Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to get past it. So you know, we usually define it. A strong verb isn't. Is a verb that you know tells what something or someone does, and it gives a stronger image or feeling than a less strong or weak or kind of lousy verb. Well, you have to say it: a weak, lame, lousy verb. A weak, lame, lousy verb. Yeah. <laughs>、um, but but again, that's really fuzzy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the things I loved about structure and style when I. First saw it, you know, with Webster thirty years ago. Was this is so concrete、mm-hmm. that anyone can know if they did something or not? Right. So, in order to sensitize kids to options,、mm-hmm. we have to, you know, give them options. How, how do you do that? So we start with the idea of okay, 
here's a weak, lame, lousy verb that we use all the time when we talk. Mm-hmm. Let's, for fun, for a while, temporarily, as a game, as a as an exercise, make it illegal, make it banned. Mm-hmm. You can't use this word. Now you're forced to look for options. So one of the kind of easy to get rid of verbs, especially if you're doing Aesop fable or anything where anyone is talking, would be the word said. And so we say, okay, said is dead. What are some options? Mm-hmm. And then you want to customize the list of options to the story that you're working with. Right. So that they're going to fit in appropriately. So you go through the keyword outline, talk it through a little bit. Okay. The hare said, you're so slow. Well, instead of said, what could you use? The hare teased, you're so slow. Yeah. Or? Maybe the hare boasted that he was so fast. That would work. Mm. Or whispered or shouted or intimated mm-hmm. or grunted or, you know, <laughs> and kids will come up with this pretty fast, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They'll come up with this. And when you're making a list for them, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully on a whiteboard that's going to live there while they're doing the assignment, you know, there's words that at least are likely to fit into that story. Right. However, it's very important that teachers understand this is not the purpose to never use said again. This is not the end of it. It is a way of getting kids more tuned into options. Uh, One analogy I have used is running with weights. People don't run with weights so they can run better with weights. Mm -hmm. They run with weights so when they take off the weights, they can run better or Mm -hmm. faster or more gracefully or whatever. Right. So it's like you're playing this game with yourself. You're you're running with weights and you trick your muscles into becoming stronger. Same thing. You make a word unavailable Mm -hmm. and it tricks the muscles of the brain into becoming stronger by looking for the options. And, you know, certainly the word said can be used very appropriately, and sometimes it's the best word. Exactly. But but we're not looking at kids who are, you know, writing for publication right now, mm-hmm. although sometimes they think they are. <laughs> sure. And we're not trying to set these rules that they would follow forever and ever. So I think, you know, that helps a great deal because there are, of course, people who've written articles about how you should use said mm-hmm. to avoid coming across too flowery or too awkward mm-hmm. or you know just let the characters say what they're saying mm-hmm. and don't change the tag to amplify their statement right just let the statement be what it is right right and i understand that mm-hmm. but that's not what we're trying to do here and we're never saying you can never, ever use said ever again. We're saying for right now, we're going to make it illegal and that's going to force the student to look, you know, on the word list, to look at, to use a thesaurus, mm-hmm. to look for options. And that is the beginning of excellence in writing. Right, 
Right. So I'm just going to, just following this enumeration thing, I, I, I identified number four, which is the myth, the misunderstanding that we believe the word said should never be used. And that is not true. What we're saying is, here's a great opportunity for kids to expand their vocabulary, uh, add more tools to their toolbox, and just to be mindful that there may be other options that are better than the word said right. in their writing. And, and you know, to wrap that up, when we have a list mm-hmm. of banned words, mm-hmm. and we start with said, and then we mm-hmm. may go to other verbs like go or went, see or saw, think or thought, come or came, want, right? When we, when we say you can't use these words and here are lists of synonyms or substitutes, any of those words qualifies as a strong verb on your checklist. Then the kids can say, okay, I used a word off that list or those lists so I can underline it, check it off, and know for a fact that I did this thing. Right. Whereas if you don't have lists... Who's to judge if your verb is a strong verb or not? Right. 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 So it's, it's a helpful step in understanding the idea of the technique. Right. Right. We are out of time, but I know that uh, we have an opportunity to talk about this again next week. So Well, for... we need to continue the conversation. Well, especially I want to actually pick up right where we left off with more conversations about this band word yes. idea. Okay. All right. Great. Talk okay. to you then. See you then. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.